This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. A global news investigation into who controls taxi licenses. We have lots of people who are working hard. Why they don't want to share the road with Uber and Lyft. A major fitness empire under fire. It's really shocking. I felt betrayed. The employee launching a class action lawsuit for unfair treatment. And Danny Green's unforgettable trip to Vancouver. It's the worst street in like North America. <laughs> Why he doesn't exactly give the city a ringing endorsement. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We're going to get to those stories in just a moment, but first we have some breaking news. Emergency crews on scene of a possible gas explosion at a Richmond condo complex. Andrew is live in the newsroom right now with the details. Anne. Yes, a frightening situation for area residents. Thanks, Chris. This happened at a building on Number 2 Road near Steveston. Fire crews were called to the scene at around 1.30 this afternoon after reports, as you mentioned, of an explosion. It's believed this happened in a unit on the fourth floor. Windows were blown out and water pipes damaged, causing significant flooding. Thankfully, as far as we know, no injuries have been reported. Richmond Fire says they believe work was being done on a gas fireplace in the building, but it's unclear at this point if that was the exact cause of this explosion. Fortis, B.C. is on scene. The city has buses in place for anyone who was impacted. We're told at least four units are impacted. Those people will likely be out of their homes at least for the night. Fortis, B.C. also confirming to our newsroom the damage was inside the building and not to other natural gas infrastructure. Structure. There is also no indication to suggest this was criminal in nature. But thankfully, Chris, no injuries. Absolutely. Okay, thanks for the update, And Now, a global news investigation is revealing the powerful reach of the taxi lobby in Metro Vancouver. The 2,000-plus vehicles in Vancouver are all controlled by a relatively small group of people. Richard Zussman has more on the potential impact that has on everything from ride-sharing to politics in this province. Behind every taxi cab is a driver, and often behind those drivers is a taxi license owner. That We have lots of people who are working hard, who are, um, have a lot of money invested in taxi licenses. Some of those licenses have recently sold for upwards of a million dollars. The province struggling to grapple with an industry where young drivers can't own a license, while long-time owners have stockpiled them. Which has developed in this way with the ownership uh, concentrated with licenses and people working for licensees. Global News has looked at 2,081 taxi licenses in Metro Vancouver. What's unclear is how many people actually own those licenses, but based on public records, there are just 106 directors controlling the licenses for 28 taxi companies. Critics say those owners had significant influence over the current government and the same influence over the previous government and have delayed ride-sharing in the province. One of the issues that we continue to run up against is a very powerful, consolidated lobby. The B.C. government is working to modernize the taxi industry before ride-sharing arrives this fall. 
What the taxi owners are trying to figure out is how much they may lose in value in their existing licenses. Probably the fear or, or the uncertainty has brought down uh, the share price quite a bit. Other jurisdictions have looked at buying out all the existing taxi licenses before the value drops with ride sharing on the road. But BC is ruling that out. Are you considering that bulk payout for licenses? No. Ride sharing companies like Lyft, who haven't yet committed to working in BC, say their model is based on casual drivers. The vast majority of our drivers, not over 90% of them in fact, are driving less than 20 hours a week. This leaves the province struggling with how to ensure taxi drivers and the small number of those license owners can survive in a world where they have to share the road. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. A heads up now to speeders in the province. It's starting to test its new intersection speed cameras. Signs and flashing lights indicating at least some of the cameras set up in Surrey and Langley are currently being tested. They're part of 35 promised in a provincial announcement last May. The goal is to get drivers to slow down. Even those speeding through a green light will be ticketed. But at this point, none of the cameras is operational. The province has said it would start to activate the cameras this summer and all will be operational by the spring of 2020. Evidence of an incredibly dangerous crime spree on the North Shore. BC Hydro says someone is vandalizing transformer boxes, causing power outages and a serious risk of fire. Catherine Urquhart has more on the danger and why the motive is unclear. Locked and covered in warning signs, most wouldn't dare go near a hydro transformer. But in recent weeks, four in North Vancouver have been vandalized. Very disturbing. There's 12,500 volts go into these transformers. Um, so it's very, very dangerous. Deliberate cuts were made to transformers in the Mount Seymour Parkgate area. One had holes drilled in it, leading to an oil spill. A fire occurred in one case, along with an explosion. We have a fear because the province is so dry at the moment. And if you get a grass fire, that's another uh, dangerous effect that could happen. The vandalism happened April 2nd, April 24th, May 1st and July 2nd. Power outages impacted a number of residents, Northland's golf course and some stores. They were able to get an extra generator here. And so they would sometimes get the power back on, but it's become a frequent issue. Still not clear, a possible motive. Nothing has been taken. The biggest concern, safety. I'd like them to stop um, for whatever reason that they are doing this. It makes no sense to me. Um, but they're not only putting their own self in danger, they're putting other people in danger. In total, there has been about $150,000 in damages. RCMP are investigating, but say, so far... They have no suspects. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. More tonight on those struggling with severe flooding in the Chilcotin. Water levels there have apparently peaked and are beginning to recede, but the Caribou Regional District says it still has to play things day by day with the ongoing rain. Some residents have expressed frustration, feeling ignored by authorities. Right now, there's no definite number on how many people have been impacted by the flooding, including being trapped in their homes and cut off by washed out roads. As we chat with residents, we're uh, working with them to assess their safety and help meet any unmet needs, such as 
food or potable water. And so far, the people that we have talked to have been able to safely shelter in place with food and water, but we want to hear from more residents so that we can make sure that they're safe and have their needs met as well. As much as 100 millimeters of rain fell in the region southwest of Williams Lake in just the past five days. It is a well-known and popular fitness chain, and tonight there's a class action lawsuit against Steve Nash Fitness World. Whistleblower Sharon Freeman is leading the charge, claiming she's been ripped off by the fitness giant since it merged with another gym she worked at back in 2009. In a Global News exclusive, Neetu Garcha has more on the new lawsuit covering hundreds of employees over the last two years. This is the top award that anyone can win in our department. Sharon Freeman says she was a well-respected and award-winning group fitness instructor for nearly 15 years. They decided to award this to me, which was wonderful. Until she started asking questions about her rights as an employee who is eligible for stat holiday pay. Never gotten it. Never. Not until I realized last November I was looking through the employee handbook. Her investigation led her to believe the company wasn't paying her properly and she's convinced there are many others like her. These are the minimum standard requirements of the employer. Minimum. So we're not even having our minimum met. Freeman, working out the numbers, says she's owed $15,000 for the last two years alone. It was like peeling away layers of an onion and then it dawned on me, it's not just me, how many people and it's not just our department, it's other departments. Freeman, who's been on a voluntary leave since December, is now also the lead plaintiff in a class action lawsuit against the company, seeking $20 million in damages. Among the allegations, hours are improperly recorded or altered to increase profitability. The company is also alleged to have systematically ignored the employment contract, depriving class members of proper payment for overtime, stat holidays and contractual wages. It also alleges intimidation from superiors. It's really shocking. I felt betrayed. A separate investigation unrelated to the lawsuit is underway by BC's Employment Standards Branch, which says it's received multiple complaints about the company. In a statement, the company said in part, we compensate all our team members fairly and in accordance with the employment laws in BC, adding while it respects the right of this employee to bring issues like this before the Employment Standards Branch and the courts, it denies her allegations and will vigorously defend these claims. None of the allegations have been proven in court and the company has not yet filed its defense to the allegations. Stop, pop. Basketball great Steve Nash has also taken the company to court, trying to have his name removed from the 23 clubs in BC, profiting from his brand. Freeman says that case highlights the business's bottom line is profits over people. They try and um, put the spin on it to us that, well, you know, you do it because you love it. You do it because you're passionate about it. It's not, you don't do it for the money. Neetu Garcha, Global News. Canada's premiers are meeting in Saskatoon for two days of closed-door meetings. One major sticking point is the national carbon tax proposal, which is opposed by five key provinces. But ours is not one of them. And Keith Baldry joins us with more on how this could impact B.C. Keith?
Yeah, the implications are quite significant, Chris, if uh, we're the only province at the end of the day that has a carbon tax. Uh, Justin Trudeau's government wants a national carbon tax. As you mentioned, five key premiers, including Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario and Quebec, all oppose the plan. They're taking on Trudeau in court. The implications for BC, of course, is our tax gets uh, increases every spring. Do we become less economically competitive with other jurisdictions? I caught up to Carol James. She has a different take on that, but also Scott Moe, the host premier at the, at the uh, gathering in Saskatoon today, making the point from their perspective, it's all about provincial jurisdiction overriding federal jurisdiction. Here's the two politicians. We firmly believe that the federal government is uh, impeding into provincial jurisdiction and if they are able to do it in, in this instance, it would be able to, uh, to expand into other areas such as education and, 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 uh, and other areas that are, are, have always been uh, provincial jurisdiction and that's why uh, we have uh, committed to taking this to the Supreme Court of Canada. Uh, I think again the advantage outweighs the disadvantage. Uh, the advantage of being a leader, the advantage of bringing in, we've seen it already in the clean energy field, we've seen it in the tech industry. Uh, you see it here today in the film industry uh, where we have an opportunity to bring green industries to British Columbia to increase our diversity in our economy and that's not only going to help us when it comes to making sure that we weather any kind of economic storms that may come. So that's the argument from Carol Jane's perspective, but it'll be interesting over time if we're left as the only province with a carbon tax that gets more and more expensive every year, whether we do become economically disadvantaged. In any event, Saskatchewan and Ontario both lost to the senior levels of court in their provinces. This issue is going to go to the Supreme Court of Canada. It will finally have the ultimate say on whether or not we have a national carbon tax or whether B.C. is just going to go it alone. Mm -hmm. All right. We'll keep following that story. Thanks very much, Keith. Yeah. Another highly emotional day at the Andrew Berry murder trial. Sarah Cotton was back on the stand. She's the mother of the two young girls who were murdered and Berry's former partner. As Romina Dea reports today, day three of cross-examination wrapped up with defense questioning her reliability and recollection of events. Defense counsel Kevin McCullough repeatedly questioning Sarah Cotton, suggesting inconsistencies in her evidence leading up to Christmas Day 2017, when her two young daughters were found dead. McCullough asked Cotton, if you desperately wanted to locate your children, four-year-old Aubrey and six-year-old Chloe, why didn't you call police? Why can't you remember knocking on windows at their father's apartment or what you saw there in the snow when you went looking for them? Through tears, Cotton replied, my children died on Christmas Day, so my memory about the snow toys might not be perfect. I wasn't focused on snow toys. I was focused on finding my children alive. Defense is building a case that Andrew Berry, who was separated from Cotton, did not kill his kids and someone else could be responsible because of Barry's gambling debts. McCullough asked Cotton, was it the case in February 2017, 10 months before the murders, that you were worried about bad people being around Mr. Barry? Cotton replied, no, I was worried about the broken window. McCullough countered, did you not write, I hope my kids are okay if he is involved with bad people? Cotton again, that was in regards to the window. Crown is trying to convince the jury Barry killed his kids because his world was falling apart, suggesting he was depressed. He couldn't afford rent, not even hydro, and therefore there was a threat he could lose his children. Romina Dea, Global News. A major storm swamps New Orleans as a possible hurricane looms. The possibility of catastrophic flooding coming up later. And say goodbye to an iconic automobile. Why, the Volkswagen Beetle is being phased out. 
Right now, though, former Toronto Raptor Danny Green's visit to Vancouver left him with memories of a rather unpleasant experience. The NBA player and his friends were hit by thieves. It happened near Hastings, where his friends were staying at an Airbnb. Nadia Stewart has more on what happened and how it's a warning to all travelers. There was one thing that didn't go great. So we started off rocky in Vancouver. Danny Green admits that he didn't know much about Vancouver before arriving here last week. Um, we booked the Airbnb on the pictures. It looks great. It always does. I mean, <laughs> but what happened next came as a, a surprise. During an interview with Harrison Sanford for their uh, podcast, Green says while he stayed in a hotel downtown, his friends were at the Airbnb. And they're like, yo, we got to change it. It's old. It's look raggedy. It, looks ha- it feels haunted. We don't know exactly where this was, but we do know it was only blocks from the downtown east side. Something Green says wasn't reflected in the listing. After scoping out the unit, Green and his friends returned to their vehicle, and that's when things took a turn for the worse. We go back outside and pretty much got not robbed of everything, but two book bags, gone. A frantic search ensues. Mind you, we didn't know where we're located at. You don't know what East Hastings is. As you hear. Yeah, it's, it's the hood. It's, it's, it's the hood? We're two blocks from East Hastings. We don't know that until we walk up on it. <laughs> This thing is it's the worst street in like North America. Green <laughs> says the, the stolen items oh, really? were never found. Oh, Vancouver police have assigned an investigator to look into the incident. They got an alley where they pass out needles for people to do heroin at. This isn't the first time a high-profile visitor was caught off guard by what he saw here. Remember Snoop Dogg in 2016? In a nutshell, people just don't do their research. Travel experts say this happens all the time, and the whole situation probably could have been avoided. Reviews should be a deal-breaker, and you can go to multiple sites to do that. It's like anywhere that you travel. You still have to be aware because you are going to encounter every once in a while an incident. It doesn't matter the city. It really doesn't matter the country. According to Airbnb, incidents like this are rare, where guests will find themselves in accommodations that simply are not as advertised. Hosts are told their descriptions and photos must be authentic, but the guests' only recourse is to leave honest feedback or file a complaint through Airbnb. Nadia Stewart, Global News. There's a live shot of Gastown right now. A number of streets in and around that area are shut down, and this is why. The Gastown Grand Prix is underway. Right now, the women are on the course. You can see them approaching the camera from down the road. 40 laps are underway. The men will be up at 7.30. Riders taking on the additional challenge this year of navigating potentially slick cobblestones from rain, although right now it looks like sunshine out there. But there is a little bit of moisture on the road, so we'll keep an eye on that for you and check in a little bit later later on. But good luck to all the ladies taking part in this race right now. All right, one of B.C.'s most popular outdoor playgrounds has become something of a victim of its own success. Squamish is struggling to find a way to accommodate the huge influx of tourists and people who just want to stay there sleeping in their vehicles. As Aaron MacArthur reports, the community is trying to manage conflicts between residents and allowing people to choose how they live. For the last 20 years, this has been home for Thomasina Pigeon, choosing freedom and mobility over a more traditional lifestyle. Well, I coach gymnastics at Brennan Park, which is the public facility. And a lot of the kids I coach, they all live in houses. And I tell them all, I live in a van. And they're like, oh, wow, really? Pigeon, the leading edge of a growing community in Squamish, there might be 3,000 people living in vehicles this summer. Many coming to the region to climb or mountain bike. The district trying to manage that population growth, a bylaw set to pass 
restricting where people can camp. So just that density of people um, trying to camp on our back roads uh, is having an environmental impact and also creating some friction between themselves and neighbors. This is my home for the foreseeable future for long term. The bylaw garnered immediate pushback from the van community. Not only are tourists flocking here, local hospitality workers who can't afford the high cost of living have turned to their vehicles. Marginalized people looking to avoid sleeping rough. A newly formed advocacy group is offering solutions and talking to council. There's going to be strategies perhaps uh, where there's permitting systems. Uh, so if you meet a certain set of requirements, like uh, undergo some maybe leave no trace training, uh, abide by a certain code of conduct, uh, then you will be permitted to stay in certain areas. Squamish says the bylaw is intended to target seasonal campers who are leaving garbage and increasing the risk of fire. Tourism Squamish says managing this incredible growth is a constant challenge. We're going to have an opportunity here to regroup, build some infrastructure around housing, better trail networks, bathrooms, parking, those kinds of things. The bylaw likely will pass sometime in August. Squamish trying to balance the needs of a booming tourism sector with the needs of residents of all types. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And here's another reminder that homelessness isn't just an issue in Vancouver. The city of Richmond today opening a new permanent accessible shelter. The 36-bed facility replaces the former 10-bed shelter and has spaces for men and women with options for couples as well. It'll be open 24 hours a day with washrooms, a dining room, commercial kitchen, laundry facilities, and meals. The Salvation Army really has a vision that this place will be a safe, warm, and caring atmosphere for people who are homeless. Uh, many people that have been homeless have suffered discrimination, and many of them are traumatized. And so with that in mind, we hope to offer them that, that they come here, they can find some stability, get healthy. To the natural world now, and fisheries officials trying to figure out how to save returning salmon from that massive rock slide into the Fraser River. A project closer to home could provide a roadmap. As Linda Aylesworth reports, the efforts to save a North Shore run under similar circumstances appears to be having some success. It's been four and a half years since an enormous rock slide made the Seymour River in North Vancouver impassable for fish. Well, when the slide happened, it actually eliminated 90% of the uh, spawning habitat for uh, pretty much all the salmon species. Before the slide, this river was renowned for having one of the, the very special and rare summer run steelhead runs. And it also has a very significant coho run. Uh, we were concerned whether or not it could ever be rectified. The situation is not unlike what's currently happening north of Lillooet on the Fraser River, where a slide is threatening an even greater number of salmon runs, and where techniques used on the Seymour to get the fish past the obstruction where they can spawn are being considered. Trapping and moving fish in the lower uh, portions of the river to above the slide and releasing them up there. On the Seymour, the fish were hiked out of the area in backpacks, then trucked upstream, a temporary labor-intensive solution. You can't get them all, but just the fact that you can get some can help retain runs and retain genetics, so it's worth doing. On the Fraser, helicopters are being considered to move the fish, but it's early days yet. The long-term solution in both cases, get rid of the giant boulders that block the salmon's way. 
on the Seymour. They said about using a low-intensity explosive that broke the rocks up, cracked them up into smaller pieces, and then they depended on high flows to move the rocks out of there. Four years and over a million dollars later, work on the Seymour River is months away from being completed. Will their efforts save these runs? Can similar efforts save the Frasers? I do have hopes what we, that we can bring this river back to what it was before. Uh, we're on the cusp of doing that, but I think there's very much reason for hope now. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Whoa! Looks like special effects from a science fiction movie, but it's actually a huge twisting water spout near New Orleans. One of many captured on camera during a major storm that sent flash floods through the city's famous French Quarter, turning Canal Street into an actual canal. And this could be just the beginning. Forecasters are keeping a close eye on a developing tropical storm heading for the region with the potential it grows into a hurricane. Tonight, Louisiana under a state of emergency after a fast-moving storm. Whoa! Through water spouts and flash flooding, that brought New Orleans to a soggy standstill. In some areas, nearly 10 inches of rain in just two hours. There's just disabled cars all over the road. It's like a hurricane. It's like actually like a hurricane. Famed Canal Street living up to its name. I'm stuck. I'm stranded out here. I, I don't know what to do. When it comes to keeping the city dry, these drainage canals are crucial. Only problem, they can only handle so much water, leaving these low-lying neighborhoods at risk with nothing more than a few inches of rain. The building tropical threat casting a shadow as far as Texas. Be prepared uh, for this particular storm. This is the time uh, to start getting prepared. We need to get things together before this hurricane that has no name come here. With the storm system only getting stronger, that name may come soon enough. Morgan Chesky, NBC News, New Orleans. All 46 people who were poisoned by that carbon monoxide leak in a Winnipeg hotel have been released from hospital. Officials now know how the gas spread through the building, but they're still trying to determine the source. And as Global's Gabriel Marchand reports, they're saying a single carbon monoxide detector probably saved countless lives. Packing up to leave a Winnipeg Super 8 on Wednesday, the Rodriguez family is just happy to be healthy after a carbon monoxide leak sent half of their family to hospital. And my sister in the hospital, eh Give her some oxygen. The calm parking lot of the hotel, a stark contrast to the chaos Tuesday. The hotel was evacuated. 52 people and a dog were inside. 46 people were rushed to hospitals around the city. They were assessed, uh, they were treated, managed, and I'm very pleased uh, to let you know that all of them have been discharged. A carbon monoxide detector went off in the hotel's boiler room Tuesday morning, alerting crews to a leak. Manitoba Hydro and the Office of the Fire Commissioner are now investigating. It appears carbon monoxide built up in the building because of inadequate ventilation related to gas-fired appliances. Instead of being safely vented, exhaust was being drawn back into the building. Officials are still looking to pinpoint the leak further. 
They are reviewing how many CO detectors were in the building beyond the alarm that went off and whether they met Manitoba's regulatory requirements. That's all part of the investigation. Uh, the other key message is this alarm absolutely saved lives. A representative for the hotel says its team will be cooperating fully with the investigation. Gabrielle Marchand, Global News. The longest running car in the history of the automotive industry has come to the end of the road. After eight decades, the last Volkswagen Beetle rolled off the assembly line today in Puebla, Mexico. Originally conceived by Adolf Hitler as the people's car, the Beetle eventually became the most popular vehicle in the world. But sales have declined despite Volkswagen introducing newer versions and the decision was made to stop production. But this isn't necessarily the end. The bug has come back from the dead twice before. A polo match in the UK today got some international attention thanks to the first public appearance of the newest member of the royal family. Princes William and Harry took part in the charity match with the Duchess of Cambridge and the Duchess of Sussex cheering them on. Duchess Kate brought Princes George and Louis and Princess Charlotte, while Duchess Meghan brought baby Archie for his first ever public appearance, although most people just saw the back of his head. Researchers off the coast of California captured some remarkable pictures of the harsh realities of the Wild Kingdom. Their underwater cameras shooting a group of dogfish sharks feeding on the carcass of a swordfish when a giant grouper appears on the scene. And within seconds, the grouper swallows one of the sharks in a single bite. The video serves as a graphic reminder that some sharks are not at the top of the marine food chain. Certainly not in this case. In Health Matters tonight, and what's billed as a first for B.C., the provincial government has opened a new one-stop mental health center at Surrey Memorial Hospital. The center will give people with mental health or substance abuse issues access to more than 80 health care professionals on-site, including doctors, counselors, social workers, psychiatrists, and homelessness outreach workers. We are looking for new projects, new pilot projects, constantly to ensure that we can have safe prescription alternatives. I didn't have the opportunity to meet my grandmothers. One of them committed suicide and one was killed by a drunk driver. I feel that a facility such as this, if it was present back in the day, that it could have severely helped our people. Uh, the center will take the first patients in two weeks, and by early next month, it'll be open 16 hours a day, seven days a week. In other health news tonight, the province and the United Way are taking another step towards easing the cost of menstrual products for women who can't afford them. A $95,000 government grant in partnership with United Way will distribute the products to a dozen nonprofit organizations Always and Tampax are also part of the Period Promise Project, which will run until July 2020. The project will also collect data on the lack of access to feminine hygiene products for some women. The story behind this startling picture of a cactus through the windshield coming up right after the forecast with Christy. And just ahead of that, some video of a storm that sent sunbathers running for cover in northeastern Italy. The storm followed a few days of soaring temperatures and was caused by hot and cold fronts coming together. The storm tore down trees and power lines and hailstones damaged cars and buildings. At least 18 people were injured. 
Those summer storms can be so intense. Okay, there's Christy. Severe thunderstorm watching some parts of our province right now. Yes, but we haven't had anything that major, which is good news. In fact, the watch has ended across the south, but we haven't had a change in our graphic system yet, but it will change soon. We are still focusing in on an area between Quinell and Prince George. We've got a number of thunderstorms that are tracking across Highway 97. If you know anyone traveling that area, they can certainly expect pooling water on the roads and hail, uh, and that will last for the next hour or so as they continue to cross that region. Now, we had a risk of thunderstorms in our region, but the most part, it has died down. There is the tour to Gastown happening right now. So far, they have stayed dry, thankfully, today, but we still do have a chance of rain. So as we head into the next couple hours, we hope that that will continue to be the case. Now, we had heavy rain while we were asleep last night. It was spotty throughout the day today, but it was a significant amount, and it certainly has added to the... Um, for a forest fire situation being a lot better across the region. That's our silver lining, everyone. I know you're worried about your summer, and I absolutely get it, but I wanted to give you this perspective. So we're not at the end of the day yet, but if we include today as 18 millimeters of rain, we're actually doing fairly well. We now have about 70% the normal precipitation we would see through July. After a May and June that were very, very dry, this is good news. And it is quite typical for our July to have the last couple of weeks be the dry, hot, sunny days. So hopefully that will transpire for you and you will see that sunshine. Uh, but it's nice to be back towards near average conditions. And there's your forest fire danger rating to give you that example of how good news that is. Only one fire of note. And uh, last year, the year before, at this time, we had 20 to 30 fires of note. So this is great news. Here's your forecast. So across the north, we still do have a risk of thunderstorms tomorrow with scattered showers, mainly dry across the south and your seasonal values. For the south coast, I'm keeping in a slight chance of showers tomorrow with mainly cloudy skies. Not till the afternoon that we'll see the sunshine, but both Friday and Saturday looking dry, although we have a chance of showers by Saturday evening. And I'll leave you with a nice shot looking out towards the clouds over the Elk Valley region, Chris. Oh, beautiful shot. Thank you very much, Christy. All right, on the long list of things you don't want crashing through your windshield, this has to be pretty close to the top. Firefighters in Tucson, Arizona tweeted out this picture of an Infinity sports car with a giant Sagaro cactus stuck in the front. The driver apparently crossed the median and hit the cactus, and it ended up there. He wasn't seriously hurt, but he was detained for signs of impairment. A giant Sagaro cactus would be pretty hard to miss if you were completely with all your faculties. Mm -hmm. Another live shot of the Gastown Grand Prix for you. Thousands gathering downtown for the bike race through Gastown. It's part of BC Super Week, featuring nine races over 10 days, attracting the best male and female road cyclists in North America and from around the world, vying for a total prize purse of more than $140,000. You just saw the women whip by. Uh, they're 40 laps well underway, and the men are going to be up at 7.30. So obviously there's huge traffic disruptions down there. But park the car and go and have a look and see if you can see Sophie in the crowd. I'm pretty sure she's down there too. Last night it was New Westminster. Yeah. She said it's all over the place. It's fun to watch. Yeah. Okay, so the Canucks surprised some today. They signed left winger Michael Furlan to a four-year contract. It'll be worth $3.5 million per season to the Canucks' salary cap. It's a signing that means... The Canucks are going to have to make some trades this summer to keep themselves cap compliant by the start of the regular season because they still have not signed Brock Besser yet. And he's going to come in at $6 million per year at least. So 
What does Michael Furlan give the Canucks? Now Johansson gets clocked, and Johansson is down. Furlan buried Johansson. Blowing people up is one of the reasons the Canucks like Michael Furlan so much. Another is he can put the puck in the net sometimes, too. Two years ago, he scored 21 goals for Calgary. Last year, he had 17 for Carolina. Air wing, Michael Furlan, his shot, on down, off the top of the goal, and in, Michael Furlan! So like J.T. Miller, Furlan can be a top six guy, or he could be a very good third-line checking guy if needed. He's been told, though, by the Canucks, he will likely get most of his time on the top two lines. Um, meeting with Benning, meeting with Benning, um... You know, he told me that I'd have a lot of uh, opportunity here playing with, you know, Peterson, Bozier, and, you know, the skill guys that they have. And, you know, they need a, they need a bigger guy on their line to, you know, give them, give them some space and, you know, be able to play with them. And Furlan, just a heat-seeking missile. Canuck fans remember Furlan as the beast from Calgary in the 2015 playoffs, and that's the guy they want here. He will sometimes cross the line with his physical play, and he has had some concussion issues. But he says he's 100% healthy and will not change his style. Um, I have zero concern about my concussion history. I'm not going to change my game at all. I'm going to go there and play the, the way that I play. When you think of it, Furlan is essentially going to do the job the Canucks hope Jake Furtanen would do. Be the tough guy who can score maybe 20 goals. So with the knowledge, Vancouver is going to have to make moves and clear out players for salary cap reasons. You wonder if they'll try to use Jake Vertanen in a trade that forces a team to take a more expensive veteran as well. Like, if you want Jake, you have to take this guy or that guy. It likely wouldn't be Louis Erickson. I can't see anybody wanting him, but maybe Brandon Sutter, maybe Sven Berchi, maybe Chris Tanev. With Furlan here... Moves have got to be made so Brock Besser can get his deal done. Okay, instead of going to the NCAA and playing for Harvard, former Penticton V forward Cole Shepard is signed with the Vancouver Giants, where his brother Jackson now plays as well. It's a big move for both Shepard and the Giants, who are definitely Memorial Cup contenders this coming season. I think that, uh, obviously, Harvard's an unbelievable opportunity. But, uh, you know, for me, just being able to play in my hometown with my brother under, you know, a coaching staff, management and ownership that knows how to win. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just an opportunity in hockey that I couldn't pass up. Cole Shepard looking to pick it up at center for a breakaway. Shepard in on goal towards the net. He but he fits right into our identity. Well, it just gives us another weapon, an uh, offensive guy that uh, really sees the game in an offensive manner to sort of help boost point production. And he's a competitive kid. Like, he's played at the highest levels. He's played at the U-17s, which for his age was the highest. It's all about speed and skill. And uh, and he played with uh, sort of at the U-16s a couple years ago, and they were on the same line together. And we were watching them going, wow, it'll be fun to watch those guys at the next level. And he's now... A little bigger, a little stronger, a little older, and, um, and he's ready for this stuff. Now the Vancouver Giants Memorial Cup chances would certainly be enhanced if Bowen Byram doesn't make the Colorado Avalanche out of training camp and return to the Giants' blue line for one more season. Oh, I don't know if you put percentages on it, but uh, I, I, think, I think we've got to... 
it, I wouldn't be shocked if he came back, and I wouldn't be shocked if he didn't come back. I think it, you know, it's that kind of a thing. One thing about them, they've got a few guys that they're 20 and 21 that are uh, similar type players. Um, that'll probably make it more likely that he would be back. But, but with Bowen, never rule it out. All right, big three quarterfinals, Wimbledon. Novak Djokovic, David Goffin. Djokovic won this in straight sets. Here's one of the reasons why. Yeah, right there. Definitely faked him out. He'll play uh, Roberto Bautista Agut in the semis. As for Rafael Nadal against Sam Querrey, Nadal straight set win. Roger Federer against Kay Nishikori. Watch this cross court backhand from Federer. He will play Nadal in the semis. Remember their 2008 Wimbledon men's final? Well, I guess it would be the men's final. What am I saying? But it lasted it was a couple a, of days, didn't it? It was like, yeah, there was a couple of rain delays. It was considered one of the greatest matches of all right. time. Meaning, yeah, it went on for a long time. Yeah. Very cool. All right, here's Andrew now, the preview of Global News at 11. Ann? Thanks, Chris. We'll have more on that natural gas explosion at a Richmond apartment complex. Plus, the city of Vancouver wants to hear from residents and businesses on whether it should ban plastic bags and charge fees on paper and reusable bags. How you can weigh in on the future of single-use plastic and when city council will consider changes. And city staff proposing a solution to ease the burden on small businesses struggling with skyrocketing tax bills. How the split assessment would work. Those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Chris. All right. Thanks a lot, Anne. ET Canada, all hail Beyonce and the Lion King at the world premiere. Plus the best eats and the best from Hanson at the Calgary Stampede. That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris. Sounds good. Thank you, Sangita. Now, an unprecedented story is unfolding in Rome tonight where the Vatican is preparing to open up two 19th century graves in the only cemetery inside its walls. All that so forensic experts can look for the remains of a 15-year-old girl who vanished more than three decades ago. Is the answer to a 30-year mystery buried here inside Vatican City? Tomorrow morning, investigators will finally open two tombs in this tiny cemetery, searching for the remains of 15-year-old Emanuela Orlandi after an anonymous tip was sent to her family. Her brother, anxious tonight. My mother still lives close by, he says. Emanuela disappeared in 1983 without a trace. Last seen leaving a music lesson. The daughter of a Vatican Bank employee. Multiple conspiracy theories grew. Even that she was kidnapped in a plot to secure the release of the man who shot Pope John Paul II. If we found her remains there, her brother says, the Vatican would have to investigate a murder. The Vatican is finally responding, the family says, but they say for 36 years they were ignored. The Vatican has always denied any knowledge of what happened. Very, very strange. All right, we'll let you see. We'll clue you into what they find there once that uh, story unfolds. Okay, so we've got Gastown uh, Grand Prix going on right now. Looked sunny when we were there a little bit earlier, and so far, fairly dry. 
Yeah, so there still is a chance of rain there, but uh, for the most part, hopefully that will continue. Tomorrow, I'm still expecting a fair amount of cloud in the morning with a chance of showers, but it's by the afternoon that we're expecting that sunshine. Friday looking good. Uh, Saturday, I think we have a chance of showers by the evening hours and on Sunday as well, but I'm, you know, that's still days away, so oh, yeah. keep tuning back in. Lots of sunshine between now and then. Yeah. All right, good luck to all the participants in the Gastown Grand Prix. Have a great night, folks. We'll see you back here tomorrow.